0: Have you ever had a falling out with somebody? Have you ever been in a situation where you needed to be reconciled to somebody? I've known of some simple cases where that happened. Those are relatively easy to resolve, but I've also known of some very difficult cases. I know of one uh, many years ago where there were two brothers who went into business together, and I'm not sure of all the details except They had a falling out, and when I came along and met them, they weren't speaking to each other. So they didn't go to family gatherings together at Christmas or Thanksgiving. Uh, And that little alienation lasted for years and years and years. I know of situations like that where uh, people had a conflict with each other and they didn't resolve it until. Somebody they both loved died and they appeared at the same funeral together, and it took the death of somebody in the family for them to get together. In those kinds of situations, it's much more difficult to bring about a reconciliation. So what needs to be present for those kinds of situations to be resolved? Or they ask that same question another way, what Virtues would the people involved have to have in order for there to be a a reconciliation? If you've had one, and if you're an adult and breathing, you've probably had one or two, and you're probably going to have more before you die, this is the kind of thing you need to know. In the Old Testament, there was a falling out between 11 brothers and one brother. It's the story of Joseph. The 11 sold him into slavery, and he got hauled off down to Egypt, where he eventually landed in prison. In the providence of God, he ends up being uh, the prime minister of Egypt. I've called him the vice president of Egypt. And then there was a famine In the land. So these 11 brothers uh, needed to go, they were commanded by their father to go down into Egypt to buy food. Uh, That's a long story that we've already looked at, but Joseph was in charge of this huge food supply and they could get food from him. Well, their father wasn't willing to let all 11 of them go. Jacob would only allow 10 of them to go. So they went to Egypt. Now, this is 20 years since they sold their brother into slavery. He's now the prime minister. They thought he was dead. They certainly didn't expect him to be the prime minister, or the vice president, second in charge in the whole land. He was probably dressed in Egyptian uh, clothes, uh, had changed obviously in 20 years, so they did not recognize him, but he recognized them. Now his motive is clearly reconciliation, but there's a lot of water that's gone under the bridge in this story. So, a lot of things have to happen. He's most concerned about his father. Is his father still living? And he has a brother. I said that Jacob allowed 10 of them to go. He kept back one, Benjamin. And that's the one brother Joseph wanted to know about. So he says, I tell you what, I will keep one of your brothers. You go back and bring Benjamin back, and I'll turn loose the brother I'm going to keep. He wanted to make sure Benjamin was okay. So, these ten brothers go back to the promised land, and they have food that they've been given uh, by the Egyptians, and they say to their father, Oh, by the way, we, we got a brother missing, uh, Uh, One of them is still in Egypt. And the father said, you're not going back. He refused to let them go. He said in his mind, he's already lost now two sons. He lost Joseph, who got sold into slavery. He's now lost Simeon, who's now being held by Joseph. They don't know that it's Joseph that's holding him, but he's down in Egypt. And he's thinking... If, if you take Benjamin, I'll lose him too. I'll, it'll kill me if you take him. As a matter of fact, that's what he says. And so, they don't go. There's no reconciliation. That brings us to Genesis chapter 43. Verse 1 says, Now the famine was severe in the land, And it came to pass, when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. All right, this introduces the next episode in this long story of Joseph being reconciled with the rest of his family, primarily his brother's who sold him into slavery. This particular episode falls naturally into three parts. In the first 15 verses of this chapter, they're having a conversation with their father. Then, beginning in verse 16 and going through verse 25, they um, end up talking to the steward in Joseph's house. That's an interesting part of the story, to be sure. And then, in the rest of the passage, they're having a conversation with Joseph himself. So there are three different conversations going on in this chapter. At the same time, these conversations reveal things about these ten brothers that really are critical in order to show what it takes to be really reconciled after an alienation. So the story opens with the fact that there is a famine in the land. Well, that's been going on now for years. Only verse 1 says it now was severe. The Hebrew word translated severe means severe, hard. As a matter of fact, It can even be translated very oppressive. They didn't have the means to grow food. Uh, Perhaps it's like California. They weren't having enough rain to produce the crops. And what food they had brought back from Egypt didn't last forever. So they were running out of food. And this forces Jacob to face the situation. So it came to pass, verse 2, when all that food was gone, that he said to them, go back to Egypt and buy a little food. Stop. Do you see any problem in that? I just explained it to you. What's the problem? Joseph said, you can't come back unless you bring me Benjamin And Jacob said, there's no way Benjamin is going back. That's the problem. And that's the conversation that follows. Verse 3, but Judah spoke to him, saying, the man, now he's talking about Joseph. He calls him the man. The man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother... Benjamin is with you. So Judah steps up. He becomes the spokesman for the ten, actually the nine at this point, And he says, Father, uh, I, I might remind you that that fellow that's holding Simeon down in Egypt told us that don't you dare come back unless you bring Benjamin with you. So we just got to look at the situation Realistically, that's what's going on. We can't possibly go back to Egypt without him. Verse 4, if you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy your food. And if you will not send him, we will not go down, for the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. So he's pressing the point. We can't go back. He'll kill us all if we go back without Benjamin. That's the point. So verse 6 says, And Israel said... Who's Israel? Jacob. Jacob got his name changed to Israel. Well, he hasn't been called Israel since chapter 37. So by calling him Israel seems to indicate, this is the name God gave him, that maybe he's beginning to trust the Lord in this situation. At any rate, verse 6 says, And Israel said, Why did you, so, you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? He's saying, Look, it's your fault that you told him you had another brother. If you hadn't told him that we had another brother, he wouldn't have known to keep Simeon until you brought Benjamin down there. So you've got us in this mess. That's uh, the Kakoras translation. Verse 7. They said, whoa, did you see that? Huh. Verse 3 said, Judah spoke. He is speaking in verse 3, in verse 4, and in verse 5. His father answers him in verse 6, and then they all chime in. It's no longer Judah speaking. It's all the brothers, except, of course, Joseph and Simeon, who are down in Egypt. And they said, Father, look. The man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him, according to these words, could we possibly have known what he would say, bring your brother down? Now, what they're doing is this. They're saying, look, we didn't volunteer the information, he asked pointedly ask us if we had another brother. What are we supposed to do? Why? We, we, we simply answer this question. And furthermore, we had no way of knowing that he was going to keep Simeon until we brought Benjamin down there. It wasn't our fault. The simple reality is he asked us a pointed question and all we did was answer it. Verse 8, Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go down, that we may live and not die, both we and you, and also our little ones. Verse 9, I myself will be a surety for him from your hand, from my hand, you shall re- require him. If I do not bring back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not uh, lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. All right, uh, Judah's going to apply the pressure. And it is, his arguments are just really interesting. What he says is this. Uh, he says, uh, look, <laughs> we're out of food, Dad. If we don't go, we all die. You die, I die, we all die. The little ones die. The children are going to die. we got to have food. Then he says, look, I I'll, I'll, I'll guarantee this will happen. I'll I'll be responsible. And if I don't bring him back, then you can hold me, you can blame me forever. And look at verse 10. This is another argument. If you had not lingered, if you had just given us permission when we first came back, we would have gone a second time and been back by now. But you are insisting that we not take Benjamin and it's going to be the death of all of us. Verse 11 And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do, then do this. Take some of the best fruit of the land in your vessels and carry them down as a present for the man. A little Balm, a little honey, spices, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks, perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man. And may God Almighty. Give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother Benjamin uh, and Benjamin, and if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. He got the point, and the point was, <laughs> we're all going to starve to death if we don't do this. The point being, he had no choice. So he says, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send gifts, and the gifts are listed in verse 11. Uh, Fruit, uh, balm, a spice, a little honey, spices, myrrh, pistachio nuts, almonds, and oh yeah, double the money. Now if you recall the story we've already looked at, when they left Egypt that first time, Joseph had the money put back in their saddlebag. And they didn't know that until they got way away from Egypt and they discovered that all their money had been returned to them and now they're terrified that they're going to be blamed for stealing the money. So Jacob says, look, uh, take double the money. And the point is, return the money that came back with you that you should have given them the first time. And then here's more money to buy more food. So, he has conceded that they should go. And then he says this, very important verse. Look at verse 14. And may God Almighty give you mercy. So he's pleading God's mercy. We need God's mercy. Before this man, that he may release your other brother, Simeon, and Benjamin. And then he says this. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. What an interesting illustration of prayer. He is, in essence, pleading God's mercy on the one hand and on the other, accepting beforehand the reality that God might not be merciful. Not interesting? So he says, look, I'm going to plead God's mercy. I'm going to pray. But you know, if the Lord isn't merciful and we don't get Simeon back and I don't get Benjamin back, that's the real issue. Then he says, if I'm bereaved, I'll accept that. I'll be bereaved. Very interesting. Uh, I talked to a lady recently who... Prayed for the Lord to do something and He didn't do it. She was praying for mercy and God didn't answer. And she said to me, I got angry with the Lord. Now, she went on to tell me that she said, I apologized. What she should do is ask for forgiveness. That's what she should do, and that's what she did. But I thought it was cute the way she did it. She said, I, I apologize to the Lord. But that's the alternative, isn't it? The Lord doesn't answer every prayer. So what happens is that you either say, Lord, I'm pleading your mercy, but I'm going to accept no matter what happens. Or, Lord, I'm pleading your mercy, And if you don't give it to me, I'm going to be angry. So those are the options. This is very instructive. Jacob is now accepting the responsibility and the reality of what is going on. One more verse in this part of the passage. Verse 15 says, So the men took that present and Benjamin, and they took double money in their hand, arose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. Now before we look at the second part of this story, let me just pause and make a suggestion. The ultimate issue is the reconciliation of this whole family. This is the first step in a long journey. or I should say the next step in a long journey back to that reconciliation. But what I want you to notice are the characteristics of these brothers. For one thing, They are looking at reality. They're not ducking the reality. This is a bad situation. And they're facing that. I'm amazed at how often people don't look at reality. They just don't. They live in some kind of dream world. Uh, They don't look at the reality of the situation. Uh, I had a conversation again real recently with a lady and reconciliation was the issue. And she was uh, denying, I think, some of the reality that was involved and I simply pointed that out to her and then I said this to her. Jesus said, You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The Greek word translated truth in that verse is aletheia. You know what that word means? Reality. Reality. And I said to her, you've got to face some reality. That you are thinking about walking away from that situation. Good luck. Because when you get to the next situation, you're going to find the same thing. People are Sinners. And they do wicked stuff. That's the reality. And you've got to face the reality. By the way, she she was stunned when I told her that. She was, I mean, stunned. You mean that verse really means reality? Yeah, that verse really means reality. You've got to look at the truth, the reality of what is going on. That's what I think they're doing. Even Jacob came around to looking at the reality, and the reality in this case is, if we don't do something, we're going to starve to death. So, they're looking at reality, and furthermore, they're accepting the responsibility no matter what happens. Uh, Matter of fact, Judah is accepting responsibility for bringing Benjamin back And Jacob is accepting the responsibility of no matter what happens, I will accept it. Now, those are the characteristics that you need if there's going to be genuine reconciliation. There needs to be some looking at reality, and there needs to be some accepting responsibility. They need to look at the truth, and they need to look at it square in the face. The next episode is what happens in Egypt. Picking the story up at verse 16, we are told when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward in his house, Take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and make them ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered. And the men, the man, brought the men into Joseph's house. Now, what's going on here, which is not immediately obvious as you read these verses, but it's there. Look at verse 16. Joseph saw Benjamin. That's what he wanted. I'll explain this more in a little in, in more detail in a minute, but he wanted to make sure that Benjamin was still alive and that they had not harmed him. That was particularly important to him because of who Benjamin was and that's what I'll explain in just a few minutes. But keep reading. Well, anyway, before before we continue, let me just say that he saw Benjamin and then he says to his steward, take them to my house so we can eat together. That's where the steward comes in. Now let's look at verse 18. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said, oh man, are we in trouble? It is because of the money. They they think we stole the money. Remember that money that was in our saddlebags? They think we got it, and boy, are we in trouble. And they said it's because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time. That we are brought in so that they may make a case against us, seize us, to take us as slaves with our donkeys. They, They were just, I mean, they were still afraid because of that money that got returned. And they said, oh boy, he's taking us to his house. When he gets us there, he's going to present a case against us and we're all going to become slaves. Interesting. Verse 18. Now the men were afraid... Verse 19, and when they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, O sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. But it happened when we came to the encampment and we opened our sacks and there, Each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it back in your hand. See what they're doing? They are assuming the responsibility to deal with the situation, and they're doing it up front. They're confessing. Look, we we didn't take the money deliberately, but we ended up with it, and, and so we brought it back to you. They're trying to uh, prevent the trial and the imprisonment. Verse 22. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 23. And he said, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. They were terrified. They were just afraid. Your God and the God of your fathers has given your, tre- your treasure in your sack. I have your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So the steward says to him, look, don't be afraid. I know all about it. You're okay. And he brings Simeon, who'd been kept uh, in jail, or at least uh, until they brought back Benjamin, and he brought Benjamin to them. So verse 24 says, So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, And they washed their feet, and he gave their donkeys feed. Then he made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. Now what's going on in verse 24 is they are being treated like honored guests. That's indicated by the fact that they washed their feet. They are being treated with honor and dignity furthermore it says they're going to eat with Joseph at noon this was not lunch for the Egyptians at this time that was the main meal of the day so they're they're not just gathering together to eat a sandwich they're going to have uh, the main meal of the day now that takes us through the second part of this story where they have this encounter with the steward, and the significant part of it is they they just said up front, here's the money, we did not take it, and we're bringing it back. And again, I want to suggest that they are acting responsibly, that they acted responsibly in dealing with their father, and they're acting responsibly in dealing with the steward and with Joseph, even if it means they got to confess the fact that they ended up with this money. That's super critical. They're handling the situation responsibly. Then there's the third episode in this story, the third phase of it. Now they're going to be face-to-face with Joseph himself. Pick it up at verse 26. And when Joseph came home, They brought him the presents which was in their hand into the house, and they bowed down before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? Now, they bowed down. That is an act of respect. Uh, they are honoring him. By the way, the Bible has people bowing down to other people and bowing down to the Lord. And the idea is that it's an act of honor. Uh, So that's what they're honoring Joseph. Furthermore, this is the fulfillment of the dream. Remember the dream? The dream that Joseph had in prison uh, no, as a matter of fact, the, 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 not in prison, the one he had when he got, before he got sold into slavery, that someday they were going to bow down to him. This, the dream has now been fulfilled. But they are honoring him in doing this. So he says, how's your father? Now, it's his father too. He has not indicated yet that he's their brother and Joseph is their father, but he's asking about them. So verse 29 says, "Then he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin his mother's son." Did you see that? All of a sudden, we now identified who Benjamin, they identify who Benjamin is. It's his mother's son. Is that significant? Why is that significant? Because Jacob had four wives. He had children by each one of them. He had. Uh, children by one wife that was named Joseph and Benjamin. So these were brothers from the same mother and all the others were half brothers. That's why he's interested in Benjamin. This is his blood brother. They both have the same father and they both have the same mother. So the text finally says that's what's going on he saw his mother's brother and said, "Is this your youngest or younger brother of whom you spoke of me?" And they said, "God." And he said, "God be gracious to you, my son." Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made his haste, sought somewhere else to weep, and he went into the chamber and wept there. I pointed out in the last chapter, this is a man with a tender heart. And on seeing his brother that he hasn't seen for better now than 20 years, and he just breaks down and weeps. He just cries. But I say that's an indication of a tender heart. Talked to the fellow on the phone in another state this week. In the midst of our conversation, uh, he just cried. There was nothing, it wasn't uh, a problem. He just was, the nature of the conversation was an indication of his just tender heart. And I was impressed with the fact that he so easily choked up over something that was not, frankly, any kind of a problem to him. So, Joseph's finally seen his son, a brother, Benjamin, and he is just delighted and he weeps. Verse 31. Then he washed his face, came out, he restrained himself and said, Serve the bread. Let's eat. So, they sat him in a place by himself and "...them by themselves, and the Egyptians ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians." Now that verse is a little complicated, so let me see if I can explain. All this is saying they ate, they ate in three different places. The Joseph ate by himself, the Egyptians ate over here by themselves, and they put the Hebrews over here by themselves. And then he says, for, them to, for the Egyptians and the Hebrews to eat together would have been an abomination. So that's why they did this. Uh, we don't exactly know why that was true, except that foreigners ate some kind of animal meat that the Egyptians didn't eat. And that may have been part of this. Another part of this uh, was that they went through certain rituals in their eating that foreigners did not go through, and uh, they shaved, uh, and the foreigners didn't shave their legs and their face and so forth. Uh, so that may have been a factor. But at any rate, for as far as the Egyptians were concerned, to eat with foreigners was an abomination. So they ate separately. And that's what's going on. But the plot thickens. Verse 33 says, And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, the youngest according to his youth, and the men looked in astonishment at one another. What Joseph did is he arranged them in the order of their birth. And they got it immediately. How did he know that? The mathematical possibilities of arranging 11 brothers or 11 people in the order of their birth is astronomical. As a matter of fact, some ingenious commentator figured it out that it's 39917000 1,000 possible arrangements of 11 people. Now, how they figured that out is beyond me. The odds are 40 million to one that they could have arranged those 11 and got it right in their order. So they, they were astonished because that said to them, something out of the ordinary is going on here. This is their first clue that this is beyond anything that's normal. They might have explained everything else, but now instead of fear, they are astonished. And so this passage ends by saying, "Then he looked. Uh, then he took uh, servings to them from before them, but Benjamin serving was." five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. Now what's going on? To give somebody twice as much food was to honor that person. He gave him five times as much. So he is really honoring Joseph. So why was he doing that? Uh, I mean, Joseph was really honoring Benjamin. Why was he doing that? And some have suggested, and I think correctly, that he's testing the other brothers. What was their problem with him? Jealousy, right? Well, we're going to test and see if you're jealous. So let's really exalt Benjamin And let's see how you handle this. And the last verse says, They drank, and they were merry. They proved they were trustworthy. They were reliable. They told the truth, and they apparently have gotten over any jealousy of their other brothers. All right. What's going on in this chapter? Well, we haven't gotten to the reconciliation yet. That will come in due course. But it's a long journey. And in this part of the journey, I think there's several things we can learn. If you're going to be reconciled, then you're going to need to be realistic. Look at facts. Don't duck from it. Assume your personal responsibility and uh, you need to assume responsibility for your actions and demonstrate that you've learned from all this fiasco. That's what they did. That they demonstrated that they were realistic, that they were responsible, and they were reliable now that they weren't going to fall into the trap of being jealous of a brother again. All right, let me conclude by putting it like this. What's the other alternative? The other alternative is you don't look at the situation realistically. I'm amazed at how many people live in a dream world. I mean, it happens all the time. You're not living in reality. Uh, Counsel with a couple recently, and I said to the husband, y- y- you don't live in the reality. You married a woman, and you aren't treating her like a woman. You're not living in reality. You've got to look at reality. You don't treat women like you treat your wife. That, you don't do that. That's not... forget the Bible for a second. That's just not even common sense. That." That's not reality. You've got to look at reality and be sensitive to people. Also, they could, have, they could have started blame shifting all over the place. Instead of dealing with reality, uh, they could have said, You know, it's not my fault. It's this woman you gave me. That's what it is. You're going to be reconciled. You've got to look at the situation realistically. And you've got to assume some personal responsibility, which is exactly what they did in this chapter. The other thing you can do is get emotional. You could get angry, bitter, and hold on to it. You could get jealous again. Or you could say, we've learned. Let's have a party. Let's eat together and be married. And that's what they did. One commentator looking at this passage said, Joseph's brother, brothers were realistic in assessing the situation in Egypt, responsible in the response to Jacob, and wise in dealing with the money that was found in their sacks. But most importantly, they had the right feelings toward their brother Joseph, who was tender-hearted. Those who would participate in God's program must be willing to take responsibility for their actions, make restitution when they are culpable, and accept their lot graciously without jealousy. Amen. Father, thank you for giving us these insights into what we should be, especially in situations where there needs to be reconciliation. That we we just become responsible, and at the same time, remain tender-hearted. Lord, grant us that. In Jesus' name, amen.